There's something bigger than us that connects all of us together in a way that can never be severed, even by death. It's rooted in love and compassion. That's communio. From Wrestling with God Productions, this is Life Lessons from Jesus and the Church He Founded. the podcast where we unpack stories from the Bible and explore 2,000 years of traditions and rituals in the church Jesus founded. I'm your host, Irish McMahon. Our goal is to reveal God's intentions for our lives and what to worship and how to worship. Our guide for the journey is theology nerd, all-around good guy, and Irish Catholic priest, Father Len McMillan. In this episode, Father Len takes a deep dive into what divides us from each other and why. He introduces us to the one thing that unites us to each other as God intended. Here's Father Len. Communo is this invisible union between us and God. So most religions believe that. But it's not just that. It's also the very same thing that makes us united with each other. Many Protestant churches don't believe that. Now, I'm not going to put down, I don't mean to put down Protestants, but remember, you know, until Martin Luther, there was really one church. And then after Martin Luther, everybody keeps breaking apart into smaller and smaller communities until today there's over 400,000 different denominations. Remember, Christ wanted one church, is saying that. And so when I say Protestants, you can always say, well, that's not true of all Protestants. I'm just talking most. That what matters to most Protestants is the communion between you and God. We'd say, no, it's a communion between us and God. And the very thing that unites us together, that's also this communio. And... The communo takes on this visible form of the church, manifest of the church. So communo celebrates this mystical communion that makes us one community. So you could translate it community, but that is so weak and lame. Because community, you could be united as Nazis, but there's no communio. Communio is a thing that brings us together as a community. That's something more than just politics or nationality. And just an example, when I was in Idaho Falls, this is a story, there was this one guy who was a saint, a saint, a saint, a saint. His name was Willie. And Willie was Rommel's tank driver, which is really incredible because Rommel only took, you know who Rommel was, right? He only, he was a Nazi. Except, was he a Nazi? That's questionable. But he's on the... German side. He was a major, uh, brilliant military mind. And he only took the best of the best. And Willie was his tank driver. And Willie, unfortunately, Willie admits in his youth he was a Nazi. So after the war, the United States didn't allow many Nazis to stay there, so they shipped him out. And because he was right next to Rommel, they shipped Willie out to Idaho because there's some sort of relocation camp outside of Pocatello. So Willie comes here. He's German. Even as an old man, Willie was powerful. 
Like that's just part of his DNA. He was tall and big, and even in his 80s, he was powerful. And Willie, Willie does admit, you know, yeah, I did believe in Nazism, but what does an 18-year-old boy know? You know, I was an idiot. And he was angry and mean, and he's sent to Idaho. And when he's in Idaho, he meets this other German, Elsie. And Elsie was German, but Elsie also was Catholic. And Elsie was just loving, loving, loving. So he marries Elsie, and he gets kind of converted to love because of Elsie. So I met Willie when I was uh, doing a nursing home mass, and she had Alzheimer's, and she was there. And Willie was there and became friends with Willie, who was a saint. And think about this. He goes from being a Nazi to caring for his wife, who has Alzheimer's. Then she died, did her funeral. And then he would continue to show up to the nursing, not just that nursing home, to all the nursing homes, to bring donuts to the uh, nurses. And in all honesty, he was bringing donuts because he said he knew he could be over, overbearing. But he said a lot of times... In nursing homes, especially if somebody has no family, somebody's not watching out for him. So he'd go to the nursing homes and the Alzheimer's just to check up to make sure all the elderly were being taken care of. And then he would get up in the middle of the night, and when the bus would come into Idaho Falls, he would take the bus or drive to the bus station to see if any homeless people needed a ride. And then he realized that Hispanics were taken advantage of in many ways. So he learned Spanish with a heavy German accent. Because <laughs> he still had a heavy German accent. And he was an advocate for Hispanics who were abused. And he was powerful. If he heard that some farmer was abusing migrants, they got a visit from Willie. Or... He realized a lot of uh, elderly people are taken advantage of in his taxes, so he learned the tax law and would do all these people's taxes. My point being is that he goes from being a Nazi <laughs> to really this Mother Teresa of Idaho Falls. And he would go to Mass and pray for Elsie, the love of his life. Now, in the same pew of him, oftentimes, was this other woman. And her name was Madame Fonsbeck. And she was this little bird of a woman with this oversized purse. I always wanted to know what the hell is in that purse. That, um, but so there's Madame Fonsbeck. And here's the amazing part. Madame Fonsbeck was in the French resistance. Like, isn't that just poetry? A French resistance fighter against the Nazis uh, shares the same pew as a former Nazi. I just, and like she's just a little bird of a woman. She's an artist. Great. I loved her art. But she could forge uh, passports to Jews, for Jews. And so she knew she wasn't much of a fighter. And she was kind of meek and mild. So she would help forge these uh, passport documents. Just amazing, amazing stories being in the French undergrounds because she would take like Jews from spot one to spot two and give them their documents. Just, it was really cloak and dagger stuff. And she said, luckily nobody knew. You couldn't let anybody know you're in the French resistance because they might turn you in. And she said, because I'm kind of mild mannered, nobody thought I would be one of those. 
And the amazing part is Willie and Madame Fonsbeck were friends. Isn't that just totally bizarre? You have no idea the twist of life. And I thought, oh my God, what a great image of the kingdom of God. That how do you know in heaven, Madame Fonsbeck died, Willie and Madame Fonsbeck still aren't at a great feast. So when I mention communio, community, it can be built around a lot of things, many of them not good. You know, but for us, it's amazing. Madame Fonsbeck and Willie at the Eucharist together. That's communio. The thing that made them one was not any agreement on culture. They were different, or politics. It was on communio, uh, this union with God. And that union is never based on externals for, to be Catholic, not politics or race or language or even superficial morality. The unity is based on something much deeper, and we call that communio. And communio, really you could say it's Christ or the Holy Spirit. So when I say community, I really mean the sense of true belonging. The opposite of communion are all those things that give us this hollow substitute for true belonging. There's a thousand examples. Like a couple years ago, this woman, she got divorced. And one of her, she's much younger, one of her friends was surprised because her friend told her that, um, well, she's going to get divorced. She says, yes, I know. And she said, I was divorced two years ago. And the woman had no idea, and they're both Facebook friends. And she says, well, yeah, I just didn't want to put on Facebook. But if you look at her Facebook, everything was happy, 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 happy. Oh, my God, even her close friends didn't know she went through a divorce. So my only point being is that that's a really hollow substitute, Facebook, for real community. Real community at its very heart is spiritual. And I mean that deep belief that we're inextricably connected to each other by something greater than us. And that thing, the thing that's greater than us, it's rooted in love and compassion. There's something bigger than us that connects all of us together in a way that can never be severed, even by death. That's communio. Um, that place on earth where people are supposed to experience communio is actually the church. So sadly, I have to admit, I've been to many parishes where um, I've attended, but I kind of feel this feeling of being cut off and disconnected and isolated. And it's just kind of this gut feeling. But I have to be honest, I've done research and gone to many bars. And... <laughs> Just doing research. And I can walk into a bar, and sometimes I would joke that I feel more communal in this bar than I did at the parish down the street. Because I used to travel around the same mass. And here's the thing. I think to have a parish that doesn't have this sense of communio, of real love, that's an insult against Christ. Because always in the Bible, if you notice, true community it has communio. So, like, in heaven... In the book of Revelation, this is weird, but in heaven, heaven is this place of ultimate communion. And one example of heaven, and I love this analogy, heaven is like a city wearing a wedding dress. Isn't that bizarre? Uh, and you have to say, why? Because it says of tight, tight unity, of compact unity, of people united together. And why a wedding dress? Because they're all in love. Right? Tight unity, in love, 
It doesn't say heaven is like the suburbs. Why? Because that's suburbs, no offense. It's not a place of compact unity. You know, I have my little yard with my fence and don't cross the line. But what if heaven is more like we're all cemented together? And heaven is other people. Heaven is other people. But unfortunately, so is hell. <laughs> That's according to Sartre, where he said, hell is other people if you don't love them. So hell is a place of no community. So the places on earth where people try to have community without any communio, eh, that's just a reflection of hell. I know, I was kind of joking there. That's extreme. But if you don't love other people, you won't want to be in heaven. You will choose not to be in heaven because you are unfamiliar with what is true communio. And so we'd say it's Christ who is our source of unity. Christ is communio. So if you look in the Old Testament, it, the Old Testament in one sense is a story of trying to build unity and community around the wrong thing like the Tower of Babel. So Christ comes to bring true unity, the true source of community into the world. Christ is communion, that binding force of true community. What makes us the body of Christ is not something external, such as we all agree in the catechism or all the same morality. All that is good, but it's not communio. It's actually Christ. Christ is Communo is communion with Christ that brings about the beloved community of the body of Christ. So we'd say, well, if you think about it, we came from community, the Trinity. We're meant to live in community, the body of Christ. And we end in perfect community, heaven. So community is our beginning, existence, and end. And what we're supposed to be striving to be doing together is go more and more into communion, communion with each other and God. Now, the opposite is kind of Satan. Now, this sounds kind of strange, but sometimes I think that people in power in various social causes, and I'm heavily into social justice, but many of them who spend so much energy talking about the fence of the day, you know, this is the rage of discussion. It's just to keep us squabbling and divided so that we can't really think about the big issues of life. And the really big issue of life is God. When it says, when God says his name is Yahweh, um, that's the verb to be. What God is saying is, I'm reality. I don't want to be extremely dedicated to this concocted cultural idea. I want to move more into reality itself, which is God, and away from socially human constructs. So why was Willie and Madame Fonsbeck able to be friends? They had moved away from their social contract and found something much deeper. So sometimes I do think that these concocted cultural ideas, such as political parties or religious fashions, is just Satan's way of keep us, keeping us squabbled so we're not paying attention to the real reality of God. You know, in some sense, we've all sorted ourselves into kind of these ideological bunkers. And it's so crazy how the social demographics is changing. And more and more people are sorting themselves, sorting into these ideological bunkers. But oddly enough, social psychologists have found that the more people do that, that 
more loneliness has increased along the same trajectory. And so there's this cultural paradox. Nine times out of 10, the only thing that people have in common behind those bunkers is that they all hate the same people. You know, that's just Satan's way of keeping us divided. If Christ is communio, Satan is the opposite. I mean, the word devil, in case you didn't know, it just means divider. And so Satan, I think, is always offering us a substitute communion based on who we reject or, no offense, Facebook, look how great my life is. We do something different. We're not, we don't have those walls. Like I love when St. Paul says, Christ has come to knock down the dividing walls that keep us all separated. So our name is Catholic. Catholic in Greek means universal. It implies unity and community. So God unites us all together and Satan, it wants us to be more loyal to our particular ideologies than really to God. But the only true community that comes from God, Christ, is not factionalism, but religious. And so not only do you have that, but you have, and I like this, identity factor comparison. So what the heck is that? <laughs> I, I like this. So that's from this author named C.S. Lewis, who is fantastic. Most people, he says, base their identity on comparison. I'm not just an athlete. I'm a better athlete than you. I'm not just Catholic. I'm more Catholic than you. So, like, I just have to say, C.S. Lewis really opened my eyes to this, that, ah, yeah, a lot of people, that's how they define themselves. And the problem is, is that in the world of comparison, it's still based on the superficial. Even if it's, uh, I'm more Catholic than you. That's still superficial. It's not true communion. If Christ makes us one and we're all connected, then our identity is universal. It is Catholic. So at the end of our life, we'll be judged on what we did to others and what we did for others. This judgment in a way is, yeah, at the last judgment we'll be judged on love, but a communio of how we, not what we felt, but how united were we with other people. Also, You'll be judged if you're lukewarm, which really seems to upset Jesus, you know, because you're neither hot nor cold. A lot of people, they're not against community, but they, you know, they really don't do much for it. And Christ says, not everybody who cries out, Lord, Lord, will be saved. A lot of people think as long as you say, I love you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. Jesus doesn't care what you say. Doesn't care if he says you're religious. Doesn't care how much you say you believe in love. Cares, did you really do something? So yeah, the final judgment will be judged on how strong our communio was. And so that gets into this question of worship. Does worship, do you worship yourself or do you worship together so that you can be challenged? Perfect worship is done together. There's a reason why the Sabbath has to be done together because it's in community where your ego is always challenged. You know, in a worshiping community, you're always being challenged. But a community does challenge you to be more loving. I mean, I'm a really patient driver as long as nobody else is on the road. (laughs) Otherwise, driving is a test of my patience. But it's in a community where you're tested and you're exposed. And that's why I think God keeps repeating over and over that we celebrate the Sabbath in community. 
So the opposite of spirituality is not materialism. The opposite of spirituality is ego. Ego keeps us separated from each other, from our true selves, from nature. Or, I know this sounds strange, in the Bible when it mentions that God will destroy our enemies, God will put an end to all war on earth, is what the psalm says, because God will form us into a community of brothers and sisters. How God will destroy our enemies is by making them our brothers and sisters. And the problem with religion is that it's supposed to be about community, but oftentimes people confuse conformity and community. The opposite of community is social conforming. There's a difference between belonging and fitting in. Conformity is just the appearance of community. Conform In conformity, there's no communion. I just have to act and dress in a way that's pleasing to you. But our deepest need is to be in community, to be loved, to belong, to be religious. Our deepest need is for communion. God has been for centuries working that we can see each other as brothers and sisters. So if you notice in the Old Testament, it keeps going over these genealogies, which most of the time you just avoid because those names are so unpronounceable. But the point being is that they'll mention a genealogy, and then it'll mention, like, just the next chapter, some war between people. But if you pay attention to the genealogies, you realize, oh, these aren't other people. These are, they might be the Hebrew. But the Hebrews are fighting, they're really their, their cousins. All the conflicts in the Old Testament, they're really just a big family civil war. It keeps mentioning genealogies to keep going back that, well, you do realize we're all related. Uh, the Old Testament is much different than the pagan religions that would say that, you know, the Irish are the true human beings. You know, God built us to be great, and then God made the Polish out of cabbage leaves. The Old Testament is always saying, no, no, we are always meant to be one big family. And the idea is that the church is the fulfillment of the dream of God, where we don't see ourselves divided up. I'm Irish and you're German, but we're really all one big family. Or if you notice in the Bible, in Exodus, there's always this theme, God saves a community, not an individual. In the Bible, God is always working to save a community, not just an individual. And yet, the American story, I think due to the gospel of prosperity, which is the opposite of the Bible, is that it's just you and God. You just accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. But Proverbs has a lot about community as well. And it says that with, in a community, you'll develop new eyes. Isn't that a great line? That you'll see the world differently by living in a community. Or I love this, that as iron sharpens iron, Living in a community does too. You become better because somebody's always challenging you. What we celebrate as the Catholic Church is communio. Real community at its very heart is spiritual. And I mean that deep belief that we're inextricably connected to each other by something greater than us. And that thing, that thing that's greater than us, it's rooted in love and compassion. There's something bigger than us that connects all of us together in a way that can never be severed, even by death. That's communio. We'd say it's Christ who is our source of unity. Christ is communio. That place on earth where people are supposed to experience communio 
is actually the church. So the answer is really pretty simple. Jesus is the source of unity with each other. Thanks for listening to this episode of Life Lessons from Jesus and the Church He Founded. We welcome your comments and questions. It's really easy to get those to us. You can shoot me an email. My address is irish at wwgproductions.org. That's irish at wwgproductions.org. Or you can text or leave me a voicemail at 208-391-3738. That's 208-391-3738. This podcast is created and distributed by Wrestling With God Productions. Our theme music is composed and performed by Jake Einick and Kevin Barnett. The lifeblood of Wrestling With God Productions comes from generous donors who support our mission. Now, it requires lots of time and money to design, record, edit, distribute, and promote the podcasts we create. If you've benefited from one of our podcasts, please consider making a donation at givesendgo.com slash wwgproductions. That's givesendgo.com slash wwgproductions. Thanks for your support. And thanks again for listening. See you next time.